following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. I'm going to speak today on bury my dead out of my sight. Bury my dead out of my sight. Genesis 23 says that I may bury my dead, Abraham speaking, out of my sight. Turn to someone and say, God's going to do something for us today. And you may be seated. You're blessed people. I'm a blessed pastor. You know that the 23rd chapter of Genesis even exists is a paradox. A 127-year-old lady has died. Her 137-year-old husband is arranging for her proper burial. And from the eye of anthropology, it's nothing more than a business transaction worth of only a single verse. However, the deceased person is Sarah. The mourning man is Abraham. Yeah, that Abraham, the father of faith, Abraham, who's eager to find a burying place for his bride. And there's more here than meets the eye. To consider it more carefully, and in various translations, one finds no fewer than five times the phrase that I may bury my dead out of my sight. Abraham was a sojourner in Canaan. He doesn't have a grave in which to lay his sweet Sarah. So he negotiates with the children of Heth who honor him by saying in Genesis 23, you are a mighty prince among us. I could put Abraham. In the choice of our sepulchers, bury your dead. You make the choice. None of us will withhold from you his sepulcher. But despite their generous offers, Abraham persists and says, if it be your mind that I should bury my dead out of my sight, entreat me, entreat for me Ephron of Zohar that he may give me a cave, the cave of Machpelah. He said, at the end of his field. Way down yonder. Now let me put this picture in a clear perspective. Ishmael, Abraham's son by a bondwoman, Hagar, is 50 years old now. And the promised son, Isaac, by Sarah, is now 37. And Abraham is trying to bandage the ravages of death, trying to bury his dead out of his sight. Ephron offers Machpelah for nothing, in fact, but Abraham refuses him. So a price of 400 shekels of silver is finally set and the deal is consummated, it's done. And Abraham has found a resting place for the remains of Sarah. By the way, welcome to Christian Life Austin today and while you're worshiping in here, we're dedicating 25 babies next door. Isn't that cool? Come on, give, ever, give all the babies a hand. Give all the mamas a hand. Come on now. That's a good pause. I love that. Imagine they had been married some 600 or six to, six to 100 years, about 2,200 years before Jesus Christ walked the earth, and they loved no less than you and me. Sarah's death was not a small matter to Abraham. Imagine how many miles they had traveled together and the multitude of experiences that they had shared. It was for Abraham the separation from his long, lifelong love and friend, a difficult parting from the one with whom he was indeed one. But it was even more than that. When he buried Sarah, Abraham buried a part 
of his past, say it, a part of his past, of which he wasn't proud. He buried the embarrassment of some past failures and mistakes, no different than our own. There was a fragile thread woven into the fabric of Abraham's life. And in that distant past, desperate in his desire to survive, he had not once but twice forced Sarah, his wife, to lie. Tell bald-faced lies two times. To say she was his sister and not his wife. First in Egypt before Pharaoh and finally before Abimelech, they represented two terrifying episodes for both of them, Abraham and Sarah, now indescribable disappointments for Abraham, divided by 30 years of time in his life. It was at the time, in Abraham's frightened mind, a necessary compromise he had made before his legendary faith had come full circle. And yet, every time he looked into Sarah's face, deep into her dark, beautiful eyes, he saw the dreadful deed he had done and had forced her to do. And he wasn't proud of his part in this past and so justifiably so. It doesn't matter that she never mentioned it. Her eyes said enough. And he wanted, desperately wanted to put it out of his sight and this was his chance, her burial. With every glance at her still glowing face, he saw the terror she had felt when the angels had visited them on the plains of Mamre Again and again, he relived the hour of doubt, his hour of doubt when his faith had failed. And when he went into Hagar, the bondwoman, and from that illicit union brought Ishmael into the world. Question, did Sarah ever mock him? Can't find a record of it. But it was there just the same, a major mistake, a frightening failure, and she knew it. Sarah knew it. It was there, staring him in the face, of Sarah. So no matter how much he loved her, the fact is and was when Abraham buried his beloved Sarah, he buried the embarrassment of his past too. He put it out of his sight. He was the father of the faithful to be sure, but he is also the father of the faithful who also know the sting of failure and I'm talking to you right now. The, failure who have, the faithful who have tasted the sweet nectar of success but have swallowed the bitter pill of failure as well. The faithful who have experienced defeat. The faithful who have experienced some unanswered prayers. The faithful who have dreams that have died and desires that went unrealized and sicknesses that went uncured and souls that remain unsaved and failures among family and friends. And like Abraham, those faithful, you and me, we finally resigned ourselves to it, accepted the unpleasant verdict. We buried it out of sight, resolved to move on. I'm never gonna go back there again, but I am convinced, hear me, in my spirit that there is a God that has a message for us in this house even now. Amen? Amen? Maybe disguised in the mundane, Details of some unfortunate incidents or reversals or fears or defeats in our lives. Maybe there's a larger issue unfolding. Maybe something bigger was going on that wasn't apparent to us then. But in this wonderful season, everybody say wonderful season. Wonderful season. 50 days after Passover. Say it, 50 days after Passover. Yeah. We're still celebrating yeah. resurrection, resurrection in this house. And we're going to be celebrating it 
next month and in August and in September and in October. That's enough. Come on now. It's still resurrection season. And maybe, just maybe, the same Lord who was silent when we buried some of those things is ready to speak now. Maybe the same Savior who seemed absent then is present now. Present and ready to remember what we've chosen to forget. Ready to resurrect what we have chosen to bury. Ready to return us to what we'd already walked away from. Ready to resume a relationship with that thing with which we felt finished. I am standing here today telling someone in this house today that God Almighty is present now in this house. Come on, clap your hands. To open up to us, to open up to us what some of us have closed off in our minds, in our hearts. Bound in the narrative of John chapter 11, there are lessons for a lifetime. And many of them familiar to us all, some of them obvious and some more subtle. But threaded through the simple lines of Lazarus' death, Martha's anger and accusation and Mary's angst, there is a larger, more transcendent truth hidden in the easily recognizable characters of this sad, sad story. There's a compelling truth of the kingdom. Lazarus takes ill in Bethany and Jesus receives the word, but his sickness of his sickness, but he tarries two more days, then finally informs his disciples that Lazarus is dead and it's time to go and they move toward Bethany. And as he approaches that sleepy little town, watch this now, Martha rushes out to meet him. In fact, history said he didn't even get to Bethany. She heard he was coming and she ran to meet him like the prodigal father ran to meet the prodigal son. She rushes to meet him, accusing him with every breath. <laughs> if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Meanwhile, Mary tears back in the house. Martha's angry and Mary is overwhelmed. And Jesus counters Martha's claim with promises of resurrection. I want to elaborate here just a little bit because I want to tell you that Martha said something that some of us don't even realize that put Jesus in resurrection mode. It put him, you know how his mother told him, whatever he tells you to do, do it, when he performed his first miracle? Martha did that to Jesus at Bethany. Because she runs to him and she said, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But she wasn't through talking. She said, but even now, even now, are you listening to me, Jesus? Even now, I know you can ask your father anything and he will give you what you ask him for. So you can, you can call her angry, Martha, all you want to. I call her anger with faith. She came. She came to him, running to him, and said, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. But even now, can I tell you folks something? Some of you have buried some dreams. You've buried some past history. You've buried some things that you wish to God you'd still had. You've buried some things with relationships. You've buried some people in your life. You've buried some hopes. And you've buried some things that you said, you know what, I don't think it'll ever happen in my life. But I've come to tell you. I've come to tell you. I'm not angry at you today. I'm not Martha. But I've come to tell you, even now, 
There is a Savior in this house even now that can ask the Father and he'll give him anything he wants from him. And he is, he said, Martha, your brother will rise again. She said, I know in the last day he'll rise. He said, no, 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 Martha. You said it and I'm gonna repeat it. I am the resurrection and the life. The Bible said now faith, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Some of you folks have got to understand, on the first Sunday, summer Sunday of the year, June 5, you need to get a grip on this thing calling even now Jesus, right now Jesus, right now Jesus, right now Jesus. And some of the things that's been haunting you from the past, Jesus is going to say, hey, I got that covered. If you'll let me do my thing and you just trust me, I'll turn you into an even now child of God and you walk through this world, not worried about your yesterday, not worried about your tomorrow, but present right now with me. Am I coming through? All right. She goes and gets Mary. I didn't mean to go off like that, but forgive me. <laughs> Who finally approaches Jesus, falling at his feet, pleading her cause. She said the same thing if you had been here. But his response to her, to Mary, is totally different. He's moved, he groans, he weeps with her. And then, and there, begins a notable se sequence of events. When Jesus asks quite matter-of-factly, you ready? Where have you laid him? Where is he? Where have you put him? That question opened an entirely new chapter, took the discussion through a different door, introduced a totally new prospect. Neither Mary or Martha had indicated any interest in leading the Lord to the place, as he called it. For them, it was over. They had put him away, out of sight, wrapped him, buried him, sealed the tomb. They had resigned themselves to the void, resolved themselves to move on, saying we won't have our brother anymore. Lazarus represented what they wanted to forget. He represented disappointment. He represented defeat in their life, failure in their life, frustration. He was what we call an unanswered prayer. There was a certain sense of betrayal they felt about it all. He was a sickness that went uncured. He was a life that was not saved, a need that wasn't met, and they had buried it with him. They had put a stone across the mouth of that grave cave. They had indeed and in fact put it behind them, out of sight and thus out of mind. And throughout the conversations with Jesus, neither of them had even hinted at the desire to go back there, back to the place they had buried Lazarus, where they had buried his sorry, this sorry chapter of their life. But it's Jesus pressing the issue, asking plainly, where is the place where you have laid him? Where have you put him? Where have you put this defeat, this disappointment, this failure, this frustration, this unmet expectation, this unanswered prayer? Where have you put it? He wants to know where you put it, Martha. He wants to know where you put it, Mary. He wants to know where it is because faith is unafraid to face the problem. I want you to take a picture of that with your camera right now. I'm gonna give you five second camera time. Take a picture of that. Say faith is unafraid to face the problem. So they start with tentative steps. They lead him into the garden within sight of the grave and they pause holding back, pointing to the place where they reluctantly laid their brother Lazarus 
And Jesus commands that someone roll the stone away from the mouth of the cave, uncover it, expose it, put it out in the open again. And with a voice like thunder, he calls Lazarus from the dungeons of death. And Jesus speaks to a situation they were certain would never hear his voice again. Let me say it to you. Do you have some situations in your life that you think the Lord will never address again? Do you have some family problems in your life? Do you have some difficulties from your past that you think the Lord will never discuss it with you again? I'm telling you, you're wrong. If you've got some things you'd like to recover, I'm here to tell you I'm preaching about a recovery savior. I'm preaching about somebody that can help you. Amen. I'm preaching. Do you know, folks, that even when Madeline Murray O'Hare was destroyed, you know what the name of the dogs that found her bodies were? You know what the name of those dogs were? Mercy and Grace. Can I tell you, the Lord cares about everybody. If he cares about somebody that fought prayer in school and fought all the people that tried to, tried, tried to make this nation right, and yet when he found them, mercy and truth found her. Here's what I want to tell you. God's got something for you. God's got something for you even now. On this Sunday morning, right here on Sunday, uh, uh, June the, the 5th, he's got something for you right now. Everybody say right now. He will address your past, he'll address your yesterday, and he'll bring something back to you that you never dreamed it was possible. The dream, the hopes, the challenges, the things that you wanted to happen that you buried and said, you know what? It's just never gonna happen. He reaches for something they were sure was beyond anyone's grasp. He communes with someone they had committed to the past. They were finished, but he wasn't. They had given up, but he hadn't. Put this on, get your phone out. Never say it's over till God says it's over. Amen. Never, 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 never. And once they rolled away the stone, once they had uncovered what they had buried, he did what only he could do. Lazarus waddled from the grave, bound bodily in grave clothes. He said, loose him and let him go. And subsequent to that miracle, that deliverance, that resurrection, John 12 and 9 says, much people of the Jews came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus whom he had raised from the dead. Wouldn't you like, listen, listen, now, wouldn't you like just to have a, a living hope in your hand? Something that you said, you know, I thought I could never get here. I thought I could never achieve this. I thought I could never climb the ladder of success. I wasn't smart enough. I didn't know the right people. I didn't have the right connections, but here I am. God's put blessing in my hand, a present day blessing in my hand and I'm gonna walk right through it. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna make it happen. Come on, clap your hands. Receive that right now. Receive that right now. God's got something special for you even now. The pastor, I'm 40. Big deal. I'm 60. Big deal. That's the new 40. <laughs> Have I told you lately I'm 52? Come on now. God's not finished with us yet. Come on, rise up, rise up, rise up. Let him put something in your future. Let him put something in your hand. Let him show you, you still can do the impossible. He is no respecter of persons. Ecclesiastes 1 says, the thing that has been, it is that which shall be. And that which is done is that which shall be done. Yes, I love this. It's a tongue twister verse. And there's no new thing under the sun. Amen. What he has done anywhere for anyone at any time, he'll do for us here and now. If we will take him to the place where we laid it, 
where we buried that dream out of sight, that broken dream, that bitter disappointment, that unanswered prayer, that unmet expectation, that failure of family or friend, that mistake that you said was buried. Jesus has the will and the power to do what you and I never dreamed possible. We closed the book prematurely. We raised the white flag too quickly. We surrendered too soon. We quit praying for that circumstance, situation, and so. But now Jesus is here and he can help us. And you'll find it threaded this incredible truth into other biblical stories tucked into the gospel. Consider this one. I'm going to tell you a story. He is a nameless citizen of Capernaum. Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell his story. He was a man of distinction. Sadly was having a hand that was withered. It was common, if not curable, but he went on with his life, tilling the soil, tending the flock, caring for his family. It was inconvenient, but he didn't allow it to control him. Neither did it kill or dampen his faith. Because when Jesus arrived at Capernaum and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath, that man with that withered hand was in the synagogue on the Sabbath. Can I stop and tell you, things don't have to be 100% in your life for you to come to church. Amen. Hear me. Pastor, you don't know the trouble I'm facing. Oh, it don't matter. This is the house of God. And this man had a withered hand. He had lost his power. He had lost his ability a long time ago, but he carried that withered hand into the house of God. Sometimes you just got to get up and come crippled. You got to get up and walk in here hurting because when you get in here, there's a Savior that's got an even now waiting on you. Oh, hallelujah. Come on, come on. You got to carry it. 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 Pastor, I got, this, I got this drinking problem. I got this drug problem. Bring it on. Bring it on. Bring it on. Pastor, I'm, I'm going through some family disaster. Bring it on. Things don't have to get good. You can't get good enough to get God. You can't get good enough to get God. God's here for anybody and everybody in this house today. Will somebody help me preach right now? Yes. Hallelujah. I feel unction in this place. I feel like prophesying to you. You may have come crippled. You'll walk out of here whole today. You may have come sick. You'll walk out of here well today. You may have come with broken dreams. You'll walk out of here with new dreams today. I believe that. I truly believe that. I believe that. Jesus was there. The man was there on the Sabbath. A withered hand was in the house. But now he's unconscious of his condition. It isn't even an issue to him anymore. It's unfortunate, but it's incurable. He's put it behind him a long time ago. Buried it, if you please, out of sight. Resigned himself to it, resolved to move on. He saw Jesus there and he knew his reputation. He was aware of his power. He, had a, he heard of his miraculous healings elsewhere. But it never occurred to him to ask. He wasn't even mindful of having a need. There was a time, a time when it had been a prevailing issue in his life, dominating his thoughts, depressing his spirit, debilitating him physically and emotionally, driving his days. Then, back then, he wanted help, sought it desperately, but he couldn't find it. So now, now he never even noticed. He never even asked or thought to ask, but Jesus, but Jesus sought him out.
The Bible says the lame shall take the prey. Found him among the many who were there and called him to come, come stand out here. And suddenly that old fire of desire was rekindled in him. He felt maim again. The prospect of being whole seized his soul. And by the time Jesus thundered to him, stretch forth your hand. The possibility of failure seemed far away. Suddenly, after all those years of unconsciously favoring it, he thrust it out. Just as Jesus said for him to do. And instantly, folks, he was healed. Jesus found the place where he had buried it, out of sight, and he had gone there. And I know that lurking in the graves, a memory of many folks in this house today, right now, right here, among us, there are those things for which we have since lost hope. We've written it off. We've despaired of believing for it. We cease to even say it when we pray. But today, the same Jesus who demanded to be taken to Lazarus' tomb sought out the supplicant in the synagogue. The same Jesus is here in this sanctuary. In Hebrews 13, 8 said he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know, scientists, I have read that when they when they are battling diseases and they got this slide and this, this disease on this slide and they're looking at it through a microscope and they got their lab jackets on, you know, many of them, many of them just absolutely almost lose their mind because they're trying to find something that will cause that disease to be arrested, you know what I'm saying? And put in its place. They're trying to find a cure. They're trying to find some kind of special med that will take care of that disease. And many times they say, scientists have said, if I could just take off this jacket and get on that slide with you, little disease, I would kick your you know what. I didn't say it, they say it. But they're so angry because they can't find the cure. But I know a I know a God in heaven that looked down one day and saw this world all troubled with sin and degradation and all that stuff. He said, I think I'm gonna take off this and put on sonship. And I'm gonna go down and I'm gonna take care of that. I'm gonna do a little kicking. I'm gonna take care of it. Oh, it'll wind up at Calvary. I'll be beaten. I'll wear a crown of thorns, but I'm gonna kick sin. I'm gonna kick it. I'm gonna defeat it. I'm gonna walk over it. I'm gonna walk through it. I'm gonna bring a cure to it. And the Bible said he came to seek and to save that which was lost. Some of us, those lost dreams, those lost hopes, those lost ambitions, we buried them out of sight, out of mind. At the end of the field at Machpelah, way down yonder, we buried it. But Jesus is saying, you know what? I can still make a dream come back. I can still make life come back. I can still make your hopes be renewed. I can do that. I can make it happen. But the question is, will you just take me to the place where you've laid it? 
I need to know where you laid it. Where'd you lay it down? Where'd you put it? Where'd you put it? I want to know where you put it because I'm going to take it out of your life and give you a hope that you've never known in your whole existence. That's what Jesus told me to tell you on the first Sunday of summer here in Austin, Texas. You know, I've told you stories of, I got to go till at least, at least 12. I, I, I've told you stories of my ministry. You know, I was just this little kid that, you know, just a kid, you know. I wasn't, I wasn't extra brilliant. I was pretty smart, but I wasn't extra brilliant. You know, I was, I was one of those kids. I'd go to youth camp and I'd snot and pray and cry. And I'd go home and to a little church of 25 or 30 and, and I'd ask God, you know, help me. And, and, and I'll never forget, I was told probably three or four times that I needed to quit this thing called preaching because I didn't have, number one, any backing. I didn't have, two, a place to preach. I didn't have, number three, anybody that really would support me. And I remember being told that, and I told this not long ago at the church, and I, on my way from one part of Louisiana to Texas, I had to drive through Lake Charles, and I went, and there was a family there that I had preached for that really thought I was pretty cool, and they loved me. And, and for two days, they absolutely ministered to my soul and my life, kind of like I'm trying to minister to y'all today. And they said, don't you ever and the man used it this way, don't you ever. That's what he did to me. I jumped. Because he said it's so strong. Don't you ever let anybody talk you out of the fact that God's got his hand on your life. Don't you ever. And we just, we just went through freedom here at the church and it's one of the most beautiful things we do. And Patty and I sit right back over here and we had, some, we had some guests from Lake Charles. We had third generation from Lake Charles and one of the, one of the young ladies that's married to the son of the pastor's wife, <laughs> the, the, the son of the pastor and his wife. And, and, and the wife was the daughter of these people. I know I'm getting kind of convoluted here. Was the daughter of these people that took me in. And I never knew it till just the other day but it was when I was preaching that she found Jesus, that wife, and now they're pastoring a wonderful church, and you've probably seen her. She's a big-time singer. You've probably seen her. She sings all the big stuff, and to think that a little old kid from West Texas had a dream, and then he tried to bury it because he didn't think it was gonna happen, but God gave me an even now in Lake Charles, Louisiana, an even now. And here I am today and she received the spirit in my ministry and she's singing everywhere and preaching everywhere because God knows how to take you to a place that you've never been in your life. He just knows how. Stand to your feet.